Welcome to the Surge Strength Podcast, powered by Ritter Sports Performance. This podcast is dedicated to helping swim coaches and swimmers learn how to properly implement dry land and strength training programs that result in moving better, reducing injuries, and swimming faster. Let's join your host, Chris Ritter. Welcome back to another edition of the Surge Strength Podcast, everyone. Hope you're doing well. So I have a very personal and relevant experience about the nervous system. So last uh, week's podcast was on neuromuscular uh, system curiosities and just the different ways that you need to think about that in your dryland training. And uh, so I go to a sports massage, I don't know, once every month or two, just to kind of get things worked out. I go on lots of hikes and work out and do other things. Just want to keep the body fine tuned. And we had a little extra time. And the masseuse is like, oh, well, do you want me to work on any particular spots? And I said, yeah, you know, I've been hiking a lot more. Why don't we work on uh, the calves a little bit more? I found one spot in the deep soleus. So if you think about where your calf is, your Achilles, it goes up. And if you can feel the two of them kind of uh, separate a little bit as you go up towards the knee, that's the gastroc on the outside. And the soleus is the muscle underneath that that actually is the bone. And there was a spot where I just instantly started sweating and reminding myself of the the rules that we have for stretching, breathe and smile as much as I can. And I was like, wow, I need to do a little bit more stretching on that particular area, uh, especially after my hikes and everything. So I'm I'm learning what I'm preaching and talking about all the time here on Search Strength. So just want to share that uh, funny story with you guys before we get into the episode. So on the episode today, on the Inside the Surge Strength Academy portion, we are going to be talking about how to transfer dry land gains to actual swimming speed. Because isn't that what dry land is all about, right? It's not just about getting them tired or sweaty or doing more work or having longer training sessions. It's that what we're doing on land is actually going to transfer into the water and have the swimmers be able to swim faster. So that's going to be pulled. Remember, that's pulled straight from the Surge Strength Dryland Certification. We still have people, coaches all over the world, signing up all the time, more and more getting certified as they're working through the curriculum. So check that out too if you're interested. And remember, you can always check it out for free, in a sense, uh, by enrolling in the Surge Strength Academy and our Dryland 101 courses, which again are pulled straight from the certification as well and of the most popular one by far recently on those speaking of the dryland 101s is the dryland at home which has workouts that coaches can have their swimmers do uh no equipment is required i I know we still have lots of people around the world in lockdown especially over in the uk right now and we've had a lot of uh coaches and swimmers in particular in the uk uh, and europe region being signing up of late so it's awesome that we can help in whatever way we can. And then the last segment of this podcast is the Dryland Talk, where we're going to talk to one of the best coaches in the world, uh, Fred Vernu. He is uh, most recently the coach of Mira Belmonte, and she was Spain's first ever female Olympic swimming champion. Under his guidance, uh, over 244 individual records have been broken and Olympic champions. So he knows a thing or two what he's talking about. But we talk about how Dryland fits into his overall program. And then on another level with him as a pro coach, how he manages the process. He talks at one point about how there were, you know, 41 different people 
helping uh, Mary win that Olympic gold medal. And so it's not just him and her working in the pool, but they also have the strength and conditioning coach, the masseuse, the PT, all these other things, mental coach as well. And I like how Fred has a view of making sure you're able to manage that process. So how I think that fits into what we're doing with Surge is with the certification, even if you as a swim coach have a strength and conditioning coach or someone that does the dryland for you, that's great. But if you're not able to manage the process and communicate with them, if you're not able to have higher level conversations about what you're doing on the dryland program, then you're kind of left to whatever they're going to do and you're not able to effectively and actively manage the process. So that's why I think it's so important to get dryland certified. Whether or not you have someone else doing it for you, you still need to know enough that you can manage the process. So Fred talks about that. And then he ends by talking too about connecting with the athletes. And that goes really well with the Swim Sim article we just had come out on Tuesday, I believe it was, about the four coaching styles for swimmers. So great episode got for you guys. Let's jump on in. Inside the Surge Strength Academy. Transferring dryland gains to swimming speed is the lesson I'm going to be covering next. If there's the first question that I get most often is specific events and stroke exercises for swimmers. This is probably the next best. Chris, how do I transfer this into swimming? And the first answer is, you're probably sick of it at this point if you've been going through the Surge Strength Dryland Certification, is that if you've done the program up until this point, if you're following the principles, the five movement categories, the three phases, making sure you're paying attention to ratios, connecting season weekly session plan, if you're doing all those things, you're in a great place and it will show up in swimming at some point. The problem is if you aren't doing those things, then that's where you feel missing. Like, man, we're doing a lot of work on dryland, but it's not showing up in the pool. Yeah, it's probably because you're only following half of the principles I just talked about or you're executing them poorly. The principles of the foundation, the foundational principles of a sound dryland program are like that cut of meat, that steak. That's what has a nutritional value, and that's really ultimately going to determine how well that steak tastes versus these specific exercises, these transferring exercises. That's the seasoning. That's the spices. They have no nutritional value, and they're not going to make up for a bad piece of meat. So think about the foundational principles we've talked so far up until this point. And remember, there are a lot more commonalities in the four different strokes than there are differences from rigid body line, strong catch, kick, maintaining tempo and strengthen your kick and catch throughout the race and making sure you have good shoulder mobility in three of the four strokes is vital. And no matter what event it is, being first off the block, having great underwaters, quick turns off the wall, strong push-offs, and maintaining tempo and DPS, all of these are important. Now, when we're talking about actually transferring what you're doing on land into water, if you've done all the principles up so far, you're going to see results transfer into the water. But I wanted to go just a little bit deeper of what, how you could do it and set it up in a way where you could do a dryland exercise and then jump right into the water, literally transfer it, get the muscles lit up, and then go into the water. And that's going to allow swimmer just to feel it a little bit differently. Again, this is not a magic pill that's going to make up for you disregarding all the principles we've talked up so far to this point, but it is something more that you can add on in addition to the foundation of your dryland program. So to understand these principles, first we want to talk about the rate of force development. And this is basically the development of maximal force in a minimal amount of time. So how quick 
Can an athlete exert as much force and strength as possible? Light up those motor units. And you can see here in, in this graph here, it just shows uh, the difference between uh, ballistically trained versus heavy resistance versus untrained in terms of the force they can produce and the time that they can produce it. So how does this relate to a swimmer? How fast they are off the blocks, their time on the wall. So when they flip over and their feet are on the wall, how long does it take for them to think, okay, push off the wall and then actually come off? And then also, what's their tempo ceiling? If you have a sprinter, but they're not able to break like a 1.2 tempo, how do you get them to 1.0 or faster? It could be something that has to do with the rate of force development. Now, this ties into this other thing we're going to talk about, post-activation potential. And so this is a phenomenon where forces exerted by a muscle can be increased based on what the previous contraction was. So simply, the history of the contraction in that muscle, and it's the very recent history, can have a performance impact on the muscle. So what does this look like? Well, it looks like a phase that you're familiar with, the strength power phase. So what this is, is a complex training or supersetting of exercises. So we have a heavy resistance training exercise, like a front squat, followed by an explosive exercise, like a jump squat, that is exploiting the stretch shortening cycle. And so this is basically one of our three phases, the strength power phase. Now, how you could set this up, again, this is it, hopefully if you have a deck uh, by the pool that you can do pull-up bars or maybe have some weights, but something that can incorporate this post-activation potential. And the more you can do that, this is going to help the swimmer increase their rate of force development. So let's say you do pull-ups, and whether that's weighted, unweighted, assisted, it really doesn't matter. You just do one set, and then you hop on the blocks, ready, go, and they go sprint 50 freestyle fast. Doing this is going to help the swimmer engage their muscles as strong as, as much as they can, especially if it's body weighted, weighted, assisted, whatever, it should be at the upper limit of their ability. And then you take that 10, 15, 30 seconds, whatever, to walk over the block, take your mark, and sprint a 25 or a 50, something short and all out. That's very much like the ballistic exercise that we would have in the strength power phase. So this is where you can start to really transfer what you're doing on land in the water. But again, my disclaimer, if you've disregarded all the principles up until this point and you just think this is the secret sauce, you're going to be poorly disappointed because this is just the cherry on top after you've built everything of the sundae. You got the ice cream, you got the banana split, you got everything else going, and now this is something like the cherry on top of it. So don't rely on this solely. Use the principles, build your program, and then here's a little bit extra that you can do. If your kids can't do pull-ups, obviously that's an issue, right? Like you need to work on that rather than figuring out where you're going to put in something like this in your program. But some other examples too that you can add in a power exercise after pull-ups and then swim. So maybe we do pull-ups, a power exercise, and then swim. You could do pull-ups and then slam or pull-ups and speed skiers with the med ball or pull-ups and then the speed pull-ups with the band that you've seen in previous lessons before. So these are just some ideas you can kind of play around with. Another thing you could do is swings with the kettlebell on deck and then go do starts and turn work. The kettlebells are going to light up that athlete's posterior chain and with it being a dynamic explosive movement, just doing, I don't know, 10 reps, take 10, 15 seconds, walk over to the, to the block, take your mark, go, work on some starts, do some swings, light up the muscles, then go to the start. You have to remember a lot of things in swimming and especially if a swimmer doesn't have a lot of dry land background experience, them just swimming up and down the pool, 
they are not, even though they may get tired, they are not hitting the highest level of activation that they can for the muscle. But resistance strength training can get them to that spot. And so them experiencing that in a strength training dryland program and then going into the water, that just raises the ceiling of what they're able to do in the water. So again, this is just the extra stuff. You need to be doing the hard work. You need to have your dryland program making your swimmers be more strong, more athletic, and then you're able to add in these little things like doing pull-ups on deck and then doing a sprint 25, and that's where you could start to see even a little bit more transfer. But if you're doing the principles up to this point, I really think you're going to see a lot transfer into the water, whether or not you do a, another set like this where you do pull-ups and then a sprint 25. Because remember, if your dryland program is giving you these goals and these outcomes, you're going to have a better athlete, and that equates to a faster swimmer. Dryland Talk. You mentioned your trip over to the States. What were some of the biggest takeaways that you came back and, you know, either chewed on and, and kind of digested or maybe even started implementing uh, immediately based on what you saw when you were over here in your travels? Well, I think uh, when I went first in, in, in the summer, I was pretty amazing, pretty amazed by, by the activity going on in the pools in, in the summer. You know, in France, in Europe, uh, in the summer, it's more uh, holidays and in, in the, the months of August, is when you go to pool, there's just a leisure. There's no competition. So the, <laughs> I, I was pretty amazed to see, you know, the American American swimmers preparing, uh, for example, the U.S. Open, you know, in July, in, in, in August. Uh, mm. the, the, these kids having one week off. Uh, <laughs> why we have maybe three or four, you know, Spain in maybe five or six. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> Then I went back to Christmas and uh, I remember this, uh, I can't remember what, what was the name, but like the typical hell week, I think yeah. it was called, you know, where, yeah. where yeah. Uh, they do the, the, the maximum volume done by, it's a, I'm not saying everybody does it, but a lot of programs do the maximum volume during the Christmas uh, week when here in Europe during Christmas week, what you do is, you know, eat chocolate and do nothing. <laughs> so it was, um, you know, it was a cultural change. Um, and one of the things that really was very interesting for me to confirm that uh, physical preparation is important is when I went to see uh, Paul Bergen in, in Portland. Mm -hmm. uh, as I said before, I, I, I did practice myself a lot of different sports uh, and I did study a lot of different sports. And, and I think um, what I do with my guys is, is act as they are athletes first, not necessarily swimmers. So everybody's an athlete. You know, you, you, need, to, you need to be able to run you need to be able to lift. Uh, my guys, sometimes we do climbing, we do kayaking. They, we went to do jump off a plane. Uh, I know it's nothing to do with swimming, but uh, <laughs> we do a lot of things outside the pool. And I think that's something that uh, when I saw Inge de Bruyne training there and mm -hmm. doing some dry land work, was, I was just like, wow. Yeah. That's, that's the thing, you know, and that's the, yeah, it was very important to me to see that. Yeah, she she was a strong girl. They, they had an emphasis on that. I seem, I think, well ahead of the curve from what uh, now you see is a little bit more mainstay on the dryland emphasis. But they were well ahead of it back then. Yes, I think so. And I think you know what? Uh, uh, later, later after that, I you know I'm, I'm married to uh, my wife is from Belarus, so I, I did uh, also spend some time in Belarus, in Ukraine, and, and Russia, and and the 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 the, the, the world physical education. That's what we lost. Uh, when I was a kid in France, we had, I think, four hours of 
physical education. It was cold like this per week in school. And then now I think it's, it's maybe an hour. It's, it's pretty much gone. Yeah. The kids, they do nothing. So they, they don't know how to run. They don't know how to jump. <laughs> uh, when I entered the university, to, uh, I, I was tested uh, physical, physically. You know, we had to do a, a Cooper test. It's a 12 minutes run as, as fast as you can. You, you have to do your... So many, I think it was your age in pull-ups, pull-ups. Uh, you have to play a, a, a basket uh, game. You have to do a rugby game. You have to do a, so many, a tournament medley in the pool. So imagine the, the guy who come from a rugby background swimming a tournament medley. It was pathetic, but they had to do that. You know, it was compulsory if you, if, if you wanted to enter university. Now everybody can enter university mm-hmm. and everybody can be a physical uh, a PE, a PE um, teacher. So it's quite, uh, it's quite interesting to reflect on that. And I think uh, the program with, with Paul was a little bit ahead. And, and sadly, I think now a lot of the programs are, are, are going backward. Um, and us, the coaches, we need, we need to be aware of that. And I think we have to do a lot more land work than uh, what uh, the kids used to do before because they used to do it in school and now, we, now they don't. Yeah, almost to make up a little bit for what used to be done in school, it sounds like you got to build that in into what you're doing into your swim program specifically. Yes, totally, and um, and then uh, especially on on, on uh, progression as we we talked before, and the development of the swimmers, uh, uh, this aspect, uh, strength, uh, flexibility, uh, uh, abilities to do different to play, uh, balance, whatever, uh, and the technique. I think this is quite a, a big a big issue nowadays. Uh, I, I had a few swimmers that came to my program, and. They were very good, you know, and in, in, in terms of times, but they could not do a proper strip. Like it was like, mm. wow, uh, it's, it's yeah, yeah, it, it's true. It's a, it's a worry. And then back in two thousand and one, I remember when I uh, went to the clinic, the Aska clinic in in New New Orleans. Mm-hmm. I listened to a coach. I can't remember his name. Uh, I'm really sorry. I, I don't remember the name. But the coach was saying that in his program in Texas, he had uh, only two hours pool per day. So he had five days, two hours pool. Mm. And what we would do, we would do um, one hour with the boys in the water and the girls outside doing some dryland. And then after an hour, it would change, you know, mm. so the girls would go in the pool and then the boys yeah. would go out. And I think at that time, he had one of the best programs in the nation in, 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 the, in America. So he was very clever, you know. Um, most of the coaches would go like, oh, I'm only five uh, slots of two hours. I'm going to do as much volume as I can. What that guy was doing, you know, an hour in the water, an hour uh, on land, uh, mm-hmm. doing different type of type of dry land, and and, and this club was probably uh, one of the best, as I said before. Yeah, especially stateside, it's interesting with dryland. Fifteen, twenty years ago, I think coaches, it's an afterthought, you know, doing dryland or a filler. And now you actually see on a lot of staffs, um, even at the club level, a coach specifically for dryland now. Uh, and that's, you know, stateside. And so you could see that there's more of an emphasis on it. Is there anything similar that, that you see uh, where you are or, or the countries that you travel when it comes to that specifically, like teams putting more resources or time or energy into it? Yes, yes, of course. Uh, I think it's happening everywhere. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I, I think uh, it could be a good thing if the people, I'm, I'm going to be really hard now, but I think if the people don't know what they talk about, it could mm-hmm. be a good thing. But the problem now, uh, <laughs> they just come from the university and they start to coach elite swimmers or elite, whatever, uh, football player, and they, they have no experience. And that's very, um, it's very important that we look into this. 
you say that before 15 years, 20 years or whatever, the coaches, they would do everything. You know, the, the swim coach was the swim coach. He was a driving yeah. coach. He was a flexibility yeah. coach. He was the sports psychologist. He was the nutritionist. I'm not saying that that's the right thing to do, but I think because we had to do all of this, then we were a lot more involved in all those aspects of the, mm. of the preparation. And now, for example, here in Spain, sometimes I see coaches, they don't even go to the team. They let the strength and conditioning go, guy go mm. to the gym with the swimmers and they don't even go there. They don't even see the swimmers in the gym. They don't even know what they do. Uh, so it's a, it's a, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a worry or it's a big worry. I think this, this, this sport, uh, the coach has, has to be, to be a, a, a multitask coach and he must be, I'm not saying that he, he got to do everything, but at least he, he got to be the, the, the manager of, of, of everything. That, that's a must to me. Mm. So yeah, yeah. In my case, my personal case, I, I do the swimming part and I do the strength and conditioning part because uh, that's what I've been doing since I'm, I'm a coach. And until I find a strength and conditioning coach that's going to convince me that I don't need to go to the gym, then I, I, I will still do it myself. <laughs> it's, it's, it's fine. There's some really great guys, and but it's just my, my position. Um, but I have a lot of people working with me, a lot of people, especially on biomechanics, uh, mm. race analysis, physiology. Uh, here in altitude, I, got, I work with a guy called Inigo Mujica. He's probably oh, yeah. one of the best, or if not the best physio physiologist in, in the world. Um, we have someone working with us with nutrition. We have someone working with us with what we call the mental preparation. Uh, so a lot of a lot of people are involved, of course. And I give you a little um, funny story. When we came back from the Olympics with Mireya, she was saying, "Oh, Fred, I'm gonna count how many people work with us." Uh, in order to win that medal. Oh, and, yeah. and she came with 41, 41 person. Oh. 41, 41 person during the Olympic year did some, somehow did help her. That, that was the physio who came once to one competition, you know, and he, he did the one massage, but still there was a lot of people around. So um, the coach has, has, to be, um, has to be a manager, has to man, manage all, all, all the support staff. Uh, and I think uh, what's... Uh, What's a worry to me is that uh, more and more the coach needs to be less in control of, of what's happening with, with the support staff. So it's uh, something the coaches should, um, I think the coaches should be on top of every single aspect of the preparation. Mm. You know, that, that's a great point, Fred. I want to ask you a little bit more about just managing that process. Now, stateside, especially in the clubs, I don't know if they're going to have resources. Maybe they have a, a handful of people coming in and maybe there's a little bit more resources at the college or the, the few professional hubs in America, but you said yourself, you know, you're doing the dryland because you want to keep in touch with that. So how do you balance as a coach having others come in? What does that vetting process look like? Or, or how do you know if they're going to fit in, in your overall picture vision of where you want to take a particular athlete? And maybe it's even a combination of, of who's going to come work with what athlete. Maybe they don't work with some because it's not a good fit. I'm curious how you process all that. And like you said, keep on top of it and keep a pulse on it. Well, I think in that aspect, uh, just before that, I think when, when you coach in, in America, it's quite different. There's a lot more people on, on the pool side than, than in Europe. Uh, coaches have um, assistant coaches and the assistant coaches, they have assistant coaches and, and student coaches, et cetera, et cetera. And it's not, it's not a, no, no, I'm not saying that as a, I'm not uh, joking. It's, it's, it's a lot of, uh, there's more people involved, a lot more in Europe. Mm. I mean, look, for me, for example, in Spain, for the past eight years, I, um, I was alone on the pool side. Mm -hmm. I had no assistant. This is the first season that 
I have an assistant coach and she's, uh, she's helping me out and she's doing a lot of things. But the previous eight years, we got the result that we got and, and I was just by myself. So, and it's the case of most of the coaches in, in Europe. One, because in the clubs, we don't have the budget to have assistant coaches. Mm-hmm. Two, because it's a different culture. Um, and three, because the uh, university setup that you guys have, uh, we, we, we have a few in the UK, a few in, uh, in France and very little in, in Spain. So it's, it's just something that we cannot even compare. Uh, saying that, I think the, the key of, and to answer your question is, is the communication. So as I said before, you, you as a coach, you have to manage that. You, you need to manage your staff and you just need to tell them what you expect from them and, uh, implement your season, implement your cycles, implement your meetings, uh, make sure they, uh, deliver and, and, uh, reply to you. And I think, um, when you have some, someone who, are if your staff is accountable, I think it's, 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 it can be very exciting, exciting, but everybody in his own field has to answer to you. Mm, yeah. Going back to uh, one of the takeaways you said when you came uh, stateside for your visit was um, the Americans didn't take a, a lot of uh, off time. You know, there was no really off season, right? There was a week here. They went really hard in the winter. But then on the flip side, I wonder sometimes if they don't take enough off time in America, did you change? Did you train a little bit more? Or I'm curious, did, did you change uh, how your training was when you saw what a lot of uh, American swimmers were doing? Well, you know, first, uh, when I would go back to France, I would say, look, it's very simple. You're going to compete at the Olympics and this guy is going to be next to you in the final. Uh, <laughs> and every year he's going to swim five weeks more than you. So he's going to have 20 weeks more than you. Mm. Uh, how are you going to beat that guy? You know, I was kind of like quite, quite aggressive, you know, and, and yeah. a bit upset that we will me- maybe miss on, on some, so many weeks, you know, during a, an Olympic cycle. And on the other side, uh, I think depending on what you do during those cycles, then you can perhaps also sometime enjoy life and, and have a step right. back and, and take your time. So for example, um, last cycle, uh, September to December, I some swimmers that had just swam once a day. We came up to camp. And instead of doing uh, three weeks of altitude, they just did the first part and then they came back to the, they went back home. So just about ma- managing a little bit this, um, this moment. And I think you, are, you, you need to, you need to have a good vision of, of, of the, of the, um, the cycles. It's very mm-hmm. important. And the more experience you have, the more intuition you can use now, if I can say that way, uh, because there's time where you need to sit down with your swimmer and say, look, this is it. Now, this is the day where we, we're going to go just, Mm-hmm. On. And I remember when um, we discussed with the, the, the mental coach before the Olympics, he, he sat down with me and, and Mireya and he said, look guys, write down on a piece of paper which day you're going to be 100% focused on the Olympic preparation. And I, I wrote um, 30, 31st of August 2015 and then Mireya, she, 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 she put the 1st of September, but she didn't know that the 1st of September was a Tuesday and Mia knew that it was a Monday and we start coaching on a Monday. So, you know, basically, <laughs> the, you know, the story is that we, we knew without talking, we knew that that day was the day where we would just go fully mm-hmm. uh, into, into the preparation. But if, if you don't breathe before, if you don't step back, if you don't relax, if you don't do things differently, uh, if you don't study or if you don't have a you know, life with your friend, your boyfriend, then as a coach, it's quite difficult to ask that. Yeah, and I think that's the interesting thing. I, I don't think one side of it is right or wrong. And actually, both sides could kind of learn something. 
you know, if you will. But I think it all goes back to, like you said, as a coach, having command of what the plan is and knowing when we're going to hit it hard. And then there is a time to recover, let the body reset so that then you can go train hard again because you can't be all, you know, foot to the foot to the ground all the time. And you're going to have burnout. You're going to have injury at some point. But at the other hand, you can't be just relaxing all the time. You're not going to get faster that way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's about it's about the uh, balance and 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 you know taking the the right or at least thinking that you're going to take the the right mm. the right decision. But I agree. I agree. It's, there's some moment where you got to be full on. Some moment where you just need to step back because nobody can just. I will, sometimes I wish I could just coach machines. You know, it would be easy. Uh, you never saw. But I just no. It's no. I'm, I'm joking. Um, I think it's it's the beauty of, of being a coach, you know, this relation that you have your, with your athlete in explain, explaining the, the preparation, uh, with Maria, we always work into a cycle of two years. That doesn't mean that he swam, she swam two years nonstop. She still goes right. off in the summer and she still have a, a break over Christmas and she still, sometimes she has weekend off and et cetera, et cetera. But the way we build, uh, the, the preparation, we're doing two years, two years, two years, two years. So this year she started, as I say, quite soft September to December. Like now she's full into the preparation for the world championship. Whatever she's going to have at the world championship, she's going to go off and, and have some time off. And then when we come back, we just start full on and we have 10 months to get ready. So just the decision that we make, we made. And, uh, uh, for me also very important that we, uh, we share that conversation. It's not, a, it's not my decision. It's, it's a, it's a common decision that the swimmer and, and the coach decide. And, uh, she also has the, the right, obviously, to say, well, look, uh, yes, no, what about this? What about that? What about this competition? So now we look into the calendar for the first um, uh, the first cycle, September to December, and with the, the new uh, International Swimming League plus the World Cup that the, the, the FINA is going to put in Europe, we're going to try to race a lot more. So it's a decision, decision that we made. Okay, let's try to do a lot of racing in that first part and then focus more on training, and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, that's got to be a lot of things you're juggling with professional swimmers with now at the ISL and, you know, the FINA World Cup circuit, just understanding, okay, where are we going to put our emphasis? And you can't just, you know, race a whole year leading up to the Olympics. You kind of have to pick your your spots a little bit. So I'm sure that's a constant balance, too, because, you know, for for someone like uh, Belmonte, she probably wants to go, you know, win some money, right? Win, Win some events. But at the same time, there has to be some balance of getting some hard training in, right? Where you're not racing to prepare for the big prize that happens once every four years. Yes, yes, totally. I agree. I think it's uh, extremely exciting to have this new calendar uh, because, uh, you know, at the end of the day, the swimmers, what they want, they, they want yeah. race. They want to, to race, you know? So uh, it, it's very positive. It's very positive for, for the sport. I think it's it's necessary that the sport is... Is moving on. Uh, it's uh, these guys. At the end of the day, they are professional. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if the, if the calendar becomes more professional, then it makes sense. We cannot, you know, expect them uh, to be good just one uh, every four years or one every two years at the World Championship. There is more than that. Uh, you you say that you know the swimmers they uh, peak maybe once or twice a year. So I think mm, I, maybe I'm old old school, but. I, 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 for me personally, I cannot pick three, four, five times per, per season. I don't mm-hmm. know how to do that. Somebody, somebody does fine. <laughs> me, I don't. But you can use those moments to, uh, yeah, to race, uh, compete against the best in the world, learn, 
you know, the, uh, we all say the same, you know, the, the, the best training is competition. So then it's a lot better to do two days competition instead of a set, even if you put the suit on. Um, then these swimmers, the top swimmers, so at least some of the top swimmers, they can make a bit more money. So it's exciting. Uh, and and it, is a, it, it doesn't mean that you're going to blow up the preparation. You can still uh, train hard and, and just compete in between. Mm. If... Another coach, uh, especially let's say from America or swimmer, was interested in, you know, Fred, describe your program. What does it look like? What do you value? How would you answer that? Well, I think for me the most important, as I say, uh, before before treating the uh, the swimmers, I treat them as athletes. So mm. the program that we run is is very complete in terms of what we do in the water and outside the water. And I can give you a lot of uh, example of details, uh, but something very important is is the relationship that that uh, I have with with my swimmers. Like in the morning, we salute them. You know, I shake their hand, they shake my hand. You know, a little uh, look in the eyes, see how they how they are. You can you can read a bit, the, you know, body language. I think this is very important. We do the same at night. We have a moment where again shake their hand, give a, give them a pad. You know. I was the day, just uh, maybe a few seconds, but every day we do that. You know, it's kind of a, a tradition that uh, <laughs> that we have, and I think they 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 really do value that. And 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 me as a coach, I, I just love being able to have a, a few seconds in the morning, in, in in the afternoon with them. And it's easier because this year I only have six swimmers. So mm-hmm. I'm not coaching like 55 <laughs> like in some places in America. Yeah. You know, in Europe it's uh, it's a luxury when when you walk in a. In a national training center, you have a, a small group, and uh, it's fantastic to have time to um, to give time, you know, to to every of your swimmer. Uh, I, I know in, in bigger groups, I had, I had uh, clubs where I had like more than thirty swimmers. And it's just impossible. So uh, this is this is very very good and very positive. And uh, yeah, going back to what we do, we do a lot of swimming uh, because the program that I run now, even though. Maria, she's an Olympic champion in the 200. She also raised 400 medley, the 800, the 1500. Uh, I got two guys that just qualified for the world in open water. So the group is more like, um, uh, how do you say that, endurance type of uh, mm-hmm. training thing. So we, we swim quite a lot. We do gym, gym work every single day. Uh, here, for example, this week in Sierra Nevada, they're going to run three times. They're going to lift Three times uh, we drive them up to the mountain, and so we can train even a little bit higher. Um, they have yoga today, and I think they have yoga again on on, on Sunday. So it's um, it's very complete. Mm. Uh, we train Monday to Sunday. Also, I think it's important that the, the swimmers, especially at that level, they are in the water every day. So the typical week is recovery on the on on the Wednesday afternoon. Then on the Saturday we. We do quite a big morning, then the rest in the afternoon, the rest the Sunday night. But we start the week. I, I like to say that you know we start the week on Sunday night. We don't do like a lot of swimming on Sunday night, but it's good to be in the water. Sometimes we mix, uh, you know, like cold baths and then swim a two hundred meters and mm-hmm. get out, go in the sauna and then go, get out straight and go back again. So I don't even know the volume, but they are in in the water pretty much every every Sunday. And then, uh, according to the plan where we are, if we are in, in, in altitude camp or if we are somewhere back, uh, back home in Barcelona, I try to do a lot of things outside. As I said to you, sometimes they go climbing in, uh, in, in uh, the winter. If we can, we go skiing. Uh, in the summer, like when we start the season, they do some kayaking. <laughs> I try to get them outside the, the pool and, and have a good time also doing different sports. 
Yeah, it sounds, uh, you know, this is an understatement, but you're not just focusing on what they're doing in the water. It sounds very comprehensive and and even down to, you know, the recovery swims on Sunday seems very intentional so that you can set them up to when it sounds like when you're really hitting it, you're going to really hit it. But at the same time, you're looking at them as, like you said, athlete first, then we're looking at them as a swimmer. Yes, athlete first, then uh, obviously uh, they compete in swimming and that's what we should we need to think about. But uh, it's true that sometimes sometime I don't even know the volume that we did at the end of the week. I need to ask my assistant because I don't really focus on this. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you said something very important to me is the fact that the recovery is the number one key. So whatever you expect them to do, if they're not ready to do, then it's not going to happen. So you have to manage really well the the, the weekly plan, the monthly plan, your your cycles, in order to uh, make sure when 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 you want to push them, they they are ready to to do so. And I remember uh, talking with uh, the coach of um, Flora Manodou back in the days. I think it was maybe five years ago. Now he was saying it's very simple. You know, we we sprint if we if we can. If they're not ready to sprint, then there's no need to sprint. And if you do that with um, distance swimmer, it's exactly the same. You know, if you want to do a big set, if not not already, then you're going to waste your time. Better do something else. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Looking back at, uh, I don't know, Fred, the last 10, 15 years, what changes have you made to how you train? And that could be stuff you're doing in the water or out of the water. Well, I think I've made more uh, emphasis on recovery. So I think the science, I'm, I'm, not that I'm a freak with science because I'm not a scientific myself, but I think coaches, they should use more uh, the science to, to to support yourself, to support your ideas and to, to support the preparation. So I think in that aspect, um, we are doing a lot, a lot better. So, uh, you know, it goes from nutrition to uh, supplements, to recovery, to the cold baths. Uh, to even you know go for a walk uh, midday little things to to get to get the guys um, in good health you know and since the little injury of Maria back in 2015 we I, I don't have injury my guys are not injured you know so we don't have mm. any shoulder problem we don't have we don't have any problem and they train a lot and pretty hard so I think in that aspect we are doing good things. Uh, I saw also the the thing that I think that we, where we do a very good job is the the technique and and the, I work with a biomechanic here in Spain where we uh, do two things. The first is the the the, the analysis of racing, and mm-hmm. within the analysis of racing, we also anal- do analysis of the other nations. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, you know, we don't just analyze our swimmer. We try to analyze everybody to know what's happening in the world. And then also we uh, do analysis in training, especially skills, you know, the start, uh, mm-hmm. the turn, and the water, body position. I remember back in 2013, when Mireya, she did the best time in the tournament butterfly, her reaction time was 0, 0.8. And mm-hmm. nowadays her reaction time is 0. 0.6. And sometimes I say that, I said, you know, without even swimming, if your reaction time was the same as you have today, you'll be world champion because she was yeah. taken to a champion. <laughs> So the, you know it's it's very impacting that this 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 aspect of of technique you, you must be on top of that and as a coach it's it's, it's very uh, it's fantastic you know to be able to study that and to make sure we uh, we progress and then um, 
the last thing that we started to do about maybe two years ago, a little bit before the Olympics, not much now, and, and before the world, we did a bit more is what I called uh, the mental preparation mm-hmm. uh, within mm-hmm. training. You know, if you look at it sometimes, or most of the time, the swimmers, they do mental preparation, they have a sports psychologist, or they do some exercise before competition or whatever, you know, but really, I don't think there's a lot of um, coaches who do who put pressure mentally during training. And I think it's quite a, it's, it's, it's an area very interesting to investigate. And uh, for, I give you an example. Last, last uh, Saturday, we had, a, we had a pretty intense set, some 50s with a suit on. And so we put some question on, on the board, you know, and uh, they just, and I didn't even explain to the swimmers why, why we had so much information on the board. And just before the last blog, I said, make sure you, when you recover, guys, you, you have a look at the, at the whiteboard because I'm going to take everything off and you won't see that board again. So at the end of the set, they did recover. We went for lunch. And after lunch, I sat down and I made, I made two teams. Mm. And I said, look, and give them a, a piece of paper and they had to answer. It was kind of a memory thing, you know, and it's, it's, it's simple, very simple, but it makes them think. And it put a bit of, uh, as I said before, like, I don't like the word pressure, but it, it is, it's, somehow it is, you know, just keep them thinking and, or even giving them ob- uh, objective in terms of skills, you know, counter strokes or whatever, or underwater. Uh, because I think that's something that we do not enough in training and too much outside of the pool and probably too much uh, just before the main competition, you know. You train your, you train your muscles, you know, your, you train your technique from September to July and you start to train your mind just before the competition. I think <laughs> maybe we need to think about something else there. Have you joined the Surge Strength Academy yet? It's now free to enroll in the Surge Strength Academy and raise your dryland IQ. Visit surge-strength.com to learn more and enroll today. That's surge-strength.com to enroll in the Surge Strength Academy. The goal of Surge Strength is simple. Build better athletes to generate faster swimmers.